Alright, Season 2, Episode 4, or as I like to call it, the second album. Now, um, in the second season here, we're doing a few different things. We're doing uh, kind of random, really. Um, You know, I mean, taking a year off, I decided to make the episode shorter so that we can hit more topics uh, more often. And most importantly, it's just less editing time for me. Okay, so without uh, further delay, uh, let's just do a case study today. I thought it might be fun to start doing episodes where I do it as a case study. And I basically just talk through it and kind of tell you what my thoughts are. And you can kind of uh, develop your own differential diagnosis and maybe try to guess what it is. Medical professionals listening to this um, will probably guess the answer pretty quickly. Uh, but uh, like I said, a lot of my listeners are not medical professionals and I appreciate that because you're listening so that you can learn something. I don't think you're listening just because you want to hear my voice. Although maybe you do and if you do, that's great. So let's start this case. Um, disclaimer is that the details I give are not exact. So in other words, the exact age, the exact scenario, um, but it's similar enough to convey the point. And I want to do that because um, this particular case is very rare. And so it would be easy uh, for someone to kind of figure out what it was if they were, you know, related, a family member, that sort of thing. Uh, So basically, this case starts with a 40-year-old female who had decided uh, to go to a conference in a major metropolitan city. Um, She was with other people at that conference, and um, they decided to go out to dinner and, you know, just get drinks and have dinner and just the usual kind of things that people do at conferences, at least, you know, pre-pandemic, because uh, nowadays, I don't know how social conferences are. I personally haven't been to one in the last two years. But this woman was at dinner, and uh, as she's eating, she's kind of feeling not so good. She's starting to have a little bit of abdominal pain, and she's starting to feel a little bit sweaty. And so everyone's carrying on, and she's thinking, well, you know, perhaps this is just something I've eaten. Perhaps it's alcohol, uh, because alcohol can, if you don't drink it very often, can make certain people uh, not feel so good. And so as the evening progresses, she's feeling worse and worse, to the point where uh, the abdominal pain is severe. She is uh, very sweaty. She's feeling anxious. And she decides to excuse herself and go back to her room. And she goes back to her room, and she starts becoming violently ill. Um, Lots of vomiting, uh, you know, abdominal pain, sweating, just feeling absolutely terrible. And so this goes on for a couple of hours until finally she calls uh, some of her friends who she was at dinner with and says, Listen, I I am not doing well. We got to go somewhere. So her friend comes, and um, she, you know, acknowledges that she looks bad, she's feeling bad, they take her to the emergency room because there's really nowhere else uh, nearby to go, and the emergency room at the local hospital was closest. And so they take her to the hospital and um, take her vitals. And so here's the, you know, the first set of clues is going to be the vitals. Um, She's slightly feverish, so we're talking like 99.5 Fahrenheit. He's... um, got a high heart rate. Her heart rate is like 130, 140, um, which it should be from between about 60 to 100 normally. Anything above 
100. We call that tachycardia. And her blood pressure was very high. It was like 200 over 100. So at this point, she's got a little bit of fever, uh, really high blood pressure, and high heart rate. And uh, some of this is attributed to the fact that she just feels terrible. You know, um, if you are under a lot of duress and stress, your blood pressure can go up, your heart rate can go up. Maybe she's having an anxiety attack. So, uh, you know, the doctor, they give her some medications to calm her. They give her a little bit of fluids and, you know, they're looking into her medical history and it turns out she has a, had a history of anxiety, which a lot of people have. Uh, so, you know, 10 or 15 years of anxiety, but most significantly she has had 10 or 15 years of hypertension as well. So high blood pressure and she's having what appears to be kind of a crisis, a, a hypertensive crisis. And so um, at this point, you know, like I said, some um, basic medications were given. And suddenly and without warning, she goes completely unresponsive. So she goes unconscious. She appears to stop breathing. She doesn't have a heart rate. So most hospitals refer to that as a code blue. And so they, um, you know, spring into action. They take over her airway um, and they bring her back. After a few minutes, they get what we call return of circulation. So she has blood pressure. She has circulation. Um, she's a little bit obtunded because, you know, they're giving her medications because they have to intubate her and things like that. And, um, but after that code blue, they get her into a CT scanner. You know, the CT was probably ordered, but this case did not seem critical at that time. It seemed like maybe it was a hypertensive crisis. Maybe it was, um, some type of, uh, food poisoning, although food poisoning generally does not manifest that quickly. Um, but so they get her into the CT scanner and they want to do a CT of the chest and the abdomen because with her symptoms, you would want to rule out cardiac causes. You would want to rule out pulmonary causes like pulmonary embolism. And then in the abdomen, there's a host of things it could be. So you can have, uh, pancreatitis, you can have, you know, acute cholecystitis or gallbladder pain. You can have acute appendicitis. You can have a ruptured, um, you know, uh, ulcer, a ruptured, uh, or a, uh, small bowel, um, obstruction. And really the list goes on and on. And the best way to do it is just to get a CT scan and see what's going on in there. Well, the problem is in the CT scanner, she coded. And I know many of the uh, medical uh, health, you know, medical professionals and healthcare workers listening know that that is actually a pretty common scenario for someone to code while in a CT scanner. And it's not that the CT scan causes uh, the, the actual code blue. It's just that it seems to happen at the absolute worst time. Um, she goes into once again, no breathing, no circulation, and, uh, they, they just can't bring her back. And at that point she dies. Um, they, they try to work her, you know, for 30 minutes or so, and she dies. So at this point, because she is relatively young, um, you know, she's 40, she doesn't have a ton of medical history other than a little bit of anxiety and hypertension and she suffers sudden death, this is a classic case for an autopsy. You have to autopsy this one. So it comes to me, and the next day I go to do this case. And, you know, I examine her externally. She looks good. She looks healthy. Uh, she doesn't look like there's any nourishment issues. Um, there's just nothing unusual with her appearance uh, from the external perspective. And so we decide to go ahead and do the autopsy. And uh, at that point, uh, you know, we go in there. The first thing you're going to do is you're going to open up the chest and abdomen. You're going to look 
in the chest for, for the classic causes of sudden death. So a uh, ruptured myocardium, a ruptured aorta, um, you know, pulmonary embolism. And, and I know that some of you are thinking, well, she has abdominal pain. Why would you care that much about the heart? And of course, it's because um, female patients can have atypical chest pain. Uh, with respect to heart attacks. So they might have abdominal pain, but they're actually having a heart attack, okay? So the chest, the heart, and the, um, the lungs were perfectly fine. The aorta was fine. So we go into the abdomen and uh, just kind of systematically go through. The bowel looks good. Um, and I point that out because if there is an obstruction, if there is necrosis of the bowel, you can tell right away that you don't really have to search for it that much. Um, the abdominal aorta is intact. Everything looks good there. Kidneys look good. Pancreas does not look like it's having a, a crisis like a necrotizing pancreatitis, which can also cause sudden death. The appendix is fine. Also, you have to consider things like um, genitourinary uh, gynecologic causes, so a ruptured or, or a uh, you know, or like a ruptured uh, ovarian cyst. Now, that wouldn't necessarily cause death, but it could um, be a cause for the abdominal pain. So basically, at this point, um, a little confused. Aha, but suddenly, um, as we are dissecting out the retroperitoneums, kind of the tissue uh, around the kidney and above the kidney, uh, I notice that there is a large mass in one of her adrenal glands, okay? And this mass is about the size of a tennis ball. It's also about the shape of a tennis ball. Now, for reference, a normal adrenal gland is about the size of a peach slice, okay? It's a somewhat pyramidal shape, uh, and it's about the size of like a standard peach or apple slice. You know when there's an abnormality. They should not be that big. So at this point, I already have what I think is going on here because this is a, uh, a known but rare phenomenon, and that's why I called this episode a benign tumor that kills. Uh, and so you may be, if, you, if you're in healthcare, if you've studied pathology, you probably already know what the answer is. But I'll go ahead and kind of, you know, parse it out for you. So at this point, remember, we're going to review. We have a lady who is 40, who has high blood pressure for 15 years, who has anxiety, who then suddenly becomes acutely ill and dies. Um, I cut this adrenal gland and I find that it has a, a solid center, a solid mass in it. Okay, and there are benign tumors in the adrenal gland. There are many types of benign tumors. The most common is what we call cortical adenoma, which means it arises from the cortex of the adrenal gland. You have to consider that the adrenal gland really has two uh, main anatomic areas. They have the uh, cortex, which is on the outside, kind of has a golden yellow color, and then it has the medulla or medulla on the inside, and it kind of has a purplish brown color, um, sometimes red. And uh, that center portion is where you have uh, adrenaline and noradrenaline, you know, epinephrine and norepinephrine. So that is kind of your fight or flight response. If you are running from a bear, um, your adrenal glands are working overtime and they're pumping that stuff out. Well, in this case, the tumor was centered on the medulla or medulla. So there are different ways to pronounce that, and I pronounce it differently just randomly. Uh, but today we'll call it medulla. And uh, anyway, when you have a tumor composed of the cells uh, of the medulla of the adrenal gland, 
This is called a pheochromocytoma. Okay, that's a long word, uh, pheo, starting with P-H, chromocytoma. And this is a fairly well-known and uh, I wouldn't call it common, but it is a known cause of hypertension that does not respond to therapy, drug therapy, you know, usual hypertensive type drugs. And people uh, who have this tend to have episodic hypertension and anxiety. So basically uh, what happens is you've got people who have this and they become very anxious and they feel uh, horrible. And if you take their blood pressure, it's 200 over 100 and then it'll go away. So it's episodic. And that's believed that, you know, just some of those cells in the medulla are just kind of secreting a little more epinephrine and adrenaline than you want um, or than you need rather. Because when you get really tense like that and you're running from the bear, um, your blood pressure does go up. Your heart rate goes up because you need more oxygen to your organs. And that's physiologically why it happens. Most people don't die though. So why did this woman die? Well, pheochromocytoma uh, can manifest in what's called a crisis, a, a um, myocardial uh, pheochromocytoma crisis. So in other words, you pour so much adrenaline into your system, it overworks your heart too much, and then you go into cardiac arrest. Now again, before anybody listening to this who has hypertension starts to worry, you have to understand that a pheochromocytoma is an extremely rare tumor by itself. Um, I don't have the numbers off the top of my head, but it's probably like one in a hundred thousand. And then among those people, uh, you have the people who might have the, the crisis and that's going to be a very small percentage. And then among those people, most of those people are actually going to live. They're going to go to the ER, they're going to get their treatment, they're going to get their CT scan, and they're going to see that they have an adrenal gland tumor there. And then the surgeon uh, will be able to take that out. Um, not It's not considered a surgical emergency, but they can take that out in you know the next few weeks or a month or something like that. And then they just manage you with medication, or they try to. What I witnessed in this autopsy was actually very rare. Um, and I've never seen a case before that or since that. And I keep in contact with, you know, a few of my colleagues, not a ton. I'm not like super social in this field. Um, and I don't really get along great with other doctors, but um, I've never heard of another doctor who has had this case. So um, this is, you know, I've been in pathology for uh, since 2004, so going on 18 years, and I've only had this once. So if you're listening to this and you have hypertension, the most likely cause for your hypertension is called benign essential hypertension, which just means you have high blood pressure for whatever reason. Um, the, the issue is when you have high blood pressure that doesn't respond to medication, then doctors will typically do testing to rule out things like this. But uh, there's a way to look for pheochromocytoma without doing a CT scan. And basically what you do is you actually uh, collect 24 hours of your urine and you take it to the doctor and then they look for uh, you know, these compounds in the urine that suggest that your adrenal glands are over-secreting, um, you know, adrenaline and noradrenaline, uh, or epinephrine and norepinephrine. And so uh, in that way, you can um, look for these compounds uh, that, you know, it's a very special test. I've only seen it run a handful of times, and most often it's negative. But that's one way to give the doctor an indication that you 
are having these uh, overactive adrenal glands. And then at that point, they would do a CT scan. And if they find it, then you're probably going to go to surgery and you're going to have your adrenal gland taken out. Now, why did I call this episode a benign tumor that kills? Well, because the, chromo- the pheochromocytoma is typically benign, okay? And yet it actually killed this person. So how can I call it benign? Well, that's because the word benign refers to the behavior of the tumor itself um, as a physical entity. In other words, it's not spreading into surrounding tissues. It's not spreading into the kidney. It's not spreading into the spleen or the surrounding fat. It is confined to the adrenal gland. So that is benign behavior. Now, speaking of this, pheochromocytomas have what is called the rule of tens. That's what... um, they is kind of like one of the the things that you know pathology students and medical students learn is the rule of tens, and about ten percent of pheochromocytomas are considered to be malignant, meaning they will actually spread into the surrounding tissues, or they will metastasize um, locally or distantly. Okay, and there's some studies indicating that in fact it's actually a little higher than ten percent, but it's going to mess up somebody who made up the rule of tens, you know, a hundred years ago. So let's talk about those other tens. Ten percent of pheochromocytomas are found outside of the adrenal gland. So um, that would be in the carotid body. So your carotid artery goes up into your neck and it splits into two. And there's a little um, piece of tissue there called the carotid body. It can occur there. And there's also something in your abdomen, which is kind of, um, it's like um, related to the nervous system. I'm not going to go into too much uh, detail, but it's called the organ of Zucker candle, which is maybe my favorite anatomical term, the organ of Zucker candle. Uh, So you can look that up. Um, 10% of these are bilateral, meaning they're in both the right and the left adrenal gland, and they're more likely to be bilateral um, in people who have familial syndromes that result in pheochromocytoma. So 10% uh, tend to be familial. 10% of all pheochromocytoma cases tend to be familial. So basically, if you were to have one, uh, or let's say your family member, your mom or dad were to have one, then you uh, might have a 10% chance of having one. And that's something that you want to at least think about if you're having um, high blood pressure and anxiety and, and it's not responding to treatment. You at least want to think about that. So now one interesting thing which is related to this topic um, but I'm, uh, is basically that there is, uh, I was looking up uh, presidential autopsies, you know, because I'm a real weirdo about this sort of stuff. So I was thinking about writing a book on the autopsies of various presidents, uh, ones who have had autopsies anyway. And so I went completely down the rabbit hole looking at all these presidents that have died and who had autopsies and who didn't. Well, it turns out Dwight D. Eisenhower, which was president from 1952 to 1960, uh, you know, he was the president right before JFK. Um, he had an autopsy when he died, and he actually had a pheochromocytoma. So that was um, a surprise to me to see that. Now, he did not, I don't believe he died from the pheochromocytoma, but it was found incidentally, which is probably the case in most diagnoses. It's probably found when somebody does a CT scan for something else and they find it. Uh, but I, thought, I found that interesting that uh, President Eisenhower had a unknown pheochromocytoma. 
And I don't really know of any other uh, historical figures that this case uh, relates to. But I'll probably do more presidential autopsy stuff because I've been researching it for about a year anyway. And some of this stuff is really cool. Um, and it's also really interesting to read autopsy reports from like 1880. Um, but anyway, that is, uh, this is the, the basics of the pheochromocytoma case. Um, I just wanted to hit a couple of high points. Um, certainly this is not going to cover everything you need to know about pheo, but it's at least something to think about. And I'm certainly not trying to concern you if you have hypertension because a lot of people have hypertension and almost none of them have a pheochromocytoma. So definitely don't go to your doctor and say, listen, I listened to Dr. Wolf. And since Dr. Wolf is always right, I know that I have a pheochromocytoma. No, don't do that. Um, you know, it's something that is just, it's somewhat of an anomaly, but it's a real thing. So I would worry more about it if I had uncontrolled hypertension and anxiety and sweating and things like that, um, which didn't seem to respond to any medication. And it also didn't really seem to respond to um, any reasonable cause. So I hope you enjoyed this. I wanted to do a quick podcast this week. Um, I'm getting super busy, uh, not only with my autopsies, but also with my uh, creative stuff. So um, just a reminder for those who haven't listened to me, I have like a hundred things that I have to go over. So at TikTok, the dead letter is my um, handle on there. Instagram is anatomy and the dead. You can also find Knife After Death at Instagram, but that's sort of a promotional account where, I mean, eventually I'll be, you know, I, I kind of announced the podcast there. Eventually there might be some art and some other stuff there. Um, YouTube is Knife After Death as well. So we're trying to get more content there. And finally, um, Knife After Death, uh, www.knifeafterdeath.com is my website slash blog. And what we're trying to do is centralize most of my content on there because virtually every social media outlet will ban me or block me if I try to post something that's even slightly interesting. Uh, and you know the struggles I've had with that. If I post a little picture of lung or if I post like an artery, then I'll get banned. So I'm trying to find an outlet where I can actually show you guys some cool stuff without having to fight the powers that be. All right. So with that being said, um, I hope you enjoyed this. I hope you learned something. And if you have any questions, uh, you can reach me at any of those uh, various um, outlets that I just mentioned. And uh, until next time, uh, that is it. And hopefully I'll get one out next week as well. Thank you. <laughs>